The Athletic. Totally Football Show today. Champions League. Todd Burley predicts a north-south game would be a draw, and so it proves for Chelsea against Salzburg. We check out the Graham Potter debut and the other midweek stories. Liverpool Ajax with a Mo and a Matip stopping their declining. Sporting Spurs, the Dandy Horseman fixture, and Holland's fling to win against Dortmund. All of that plus what's on the way this weekend in the Premier League in this Totally Football Show. Fifteenth of September, uh, listener. Hello to you. We've got our all-star lineup here. <laughs> Top and north and south. Yeah. All right. Representing kind of Norwood. Is that right, Don Fifield? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's south, weirdly. But there you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'll take that. South and yeah. bring it on. Well, and uh, then we got from North London, Charlie Eccleshire. Hello. And Wickham's very own Duncan Alexander. Hello. Although I'm actually quite near Norwood in a confusing twist, yeah. So I'm probably clo- I'm closer to Selhurst Park right now than Dom is, and he calls himself a Palace fan. So um. <laughs> it is interesting, though. It is interesting, uh, Dom. You've been busy on the Chelsea beat. Obviously, we're riffing a little bit on this whole All Star theme. Charlie, this is your last appearance before you go off on paternity leave. So let's make it a good one. Yeah, let's make it one to remember. All right. By the way, uh, Champions League midweek. Did you was it? Did you have a, a favourite bit of commentary? Something you've earmarked perhaps for a future volume of the beautiful poetry of football commentary. Your excellent tome. Uh, this is more just a personal thing. I'm, I'm a big Glenn Hoddle fan. I, mm. I know he's a bit he's a bit divisive. Um, really? But I find him really endearing, and he Who just doesn't didn't like really Glenn Hoddle. Show me the I person. Don't mm, I don't know. I think he. He got into a bit of trouble, didn't oh, he? Oh, yeah, there was the business with the <laughs> saying that, yeah. No, that I wasn't was so even great. thinking that. Yeah. Um, but yes, there, there, there was that. But no, as a commentator, I love him. I find him very endearing. He's got these sort of um, ticks that he uses. And he described Raheem Sterling's goal yesterday in a very hoddly way. And he said he, he just sets it lovely, which <laughs> to me was just beautiful hoddling. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed that. All right. And, and to be fair, Regan, I think we should be prepared to forgive him his past mistakes, even if he can't. <laughs> he very anyway. much introduced the using them, didn't he? Like, as in them shots and things like that. Did he? He? Was, he was the pioneer of that. And now that's, I mean, I've started using it now, much to the annoyance of, of my wife, because I think it just sounds better. But I think Hoddle is the leader. That do you think because that's ubiquitous in football i think yeah it has become yeah he honestly he used to do it he was the only one and people used to say we well, can't that's not how you say a sentence but um give, he me, won. give me an example but basically the, imagine the word those just get yeah. rid of yeah. that so that that's the thing with them players they've got a picture yeah. they've got a picture is sort All of right yeah do you have a commentator you like to impersonate dom uh, um and it's in there <laughs> What's that from fishing? <laughs> Kevin Sheedy. What was that? Who, who was it? Was uh, right, it was okay, it the yeah. classic uh, classic Moro? Was it uh, back in the day? Oh yeah. yeah. Nice. Oh, I loved it. Oh yeah, yeah they nod. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm so old. Oh god. <laughs> anyway, so Champions League. Then uh, among the headlines, Tuesday, Liverpool bounce back 
uh, from their Napoli defeat against Ajax. Sporting beat Spurs 2-0. Celtic got a point away to Shakhtar in Warsaw. Bruges beat Porto 4-0 in Porto. And the big uh, Bayern Barcelona, this time it's different. Lewandowski reunion game. So Lewandowski squander a hat-trick of chances. And Barcelona getting beat once again by the Bavarians. Wednesday at the bridge, Chelsea got held at home like a Centre Parks resident. Uh, 1-1 <laughs> with Salzburg. Uh, Napoli stayed top of Liverpool's group, handing Rangers their latest heavy defeat. Benfica beat Juventus 2-1 in Turin. That is Benfica's 12th straight victory. And in the other big midweek reunion, Man City came from behind against Dortmund at the Etihad with you-know-who getting the winner in classic fashion. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Poor Dortmund radio comms there, seeing what looked like potentially a memorable win Slip away at the Etihad against Man City. Two late goals for Pep's side. Just to kind of pracy this before we go wild about, the, I guess, both City goals, it was a game that wasn't going to plan at all for Man City. Daniel Storey was there calling the first half, one of the worst 45 minutes I've ever seen. Uh, the problems were compounded for City when Jude Bellingham caved Dortmund the lead. And then 80 minutes in, City finally had their first shot on target. It was that wonder strike from John Stones. And six minutes later came the Cancelo to Harlan moment. Crikey. One of them moments. <laughs> how much was it a wonder strike and how much was it a goalkeeping error? He didn't seem to react Oh, which? At all. The John Stones one? Yeah. I, I thought that he looked as if he'd completely lost his bearings and thought he was standing on his post as opposed to slap bang in the middle of the goal and it, it seemed to fly through him rather than... I mean, uh, John Stone shooting from that range would... Yeah, you know, surprise anyone, yeah. <laughs> but was there not a degree of movement on the ball, I thought, maybe? Possibly a swerve on it, yeah. Mm. All right, but I think we can all agree that when Haaland finally entered the game, uh, he did so in quite spectacular fashion. Yeah, one of the best goals of the season and it still will be at the end of the season. I mean, once again... Cancelo's right foot you know why why use your left when you can do that with the outside of your, your right foot and I saw a few people go on Twitter oh why why do players get praised for using the outside of the foot when they could do it with the inside of the foot it's like well because it's harder and it looks much better <laughs> pretty obvious but um, also you, you create a very different angle yeah. by using the outside of your foot yeah yeah because the, the fullback's not it doesn't think you're going to cross right so and then the finish from Haaland was just I mean I was going to say ninja finish, but the Mutant Turtles taught us you can't use that word in England, so it's a hero finish, which I think still works. But um, it was just extraordinary to sort of be that high in the air and, and stud it in. So, mm. um, yeah. In the age of VAR, was anyone else expecting that to be sort of looked at and potentially ruled out? And I feel like in the Premier League that might have happened. Just for, for like a high boot. unnatural shape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, high boot or yeah, bodies in the silhouette. <laughs> yeah, you're you're representing another sport. You've contravened Stockley Park one eight six seven. Also, he did a great muted celebration where he did mute the celebration, but then he couldn't stop himself laughing. So it was like at school when you get in trouble and you can't like <laughs> you know you're like desperately trying not to smile. It was like oh yeah, I've scored. But um, yeah, just a great goal. 
All right, shout out to Julian Laurent, who immediately compared it to Johan Cruyff's Wonderstrike for Barcelona against Atletico in 1973, well before he was born, which was exactly the comparison that Pep made post-game. He also compared it to my good friend Ibra, as he put it. It was <laughs> that guy. Duncan Erling Holland now on 13 goals in seven City games. That's as many as? Uh, Manchester United and Everton combined the season, uh, which which went down well. Um, he's now only thirty players in Champions League history have have scored more than him. Mm. Um, he's going quite well. So, but we should give some praise to John Stones as well because that goal did change the game. And there is, I mean, it wasn't a million miles away from Vin- where Vincent Company mm. hit that goal against Leicester. There is something. A lot of people go on about Old Trafford or, or Anfield, you know, the Stretford end, the cop, but there's something about that end at City. You've obviously got Aguero, you've got Balotelli scoring with his shoulder, um, you've got David James playing up front. It really is <laughs> kind of the most narrative-laden, you know, 30 square yards of turf in the game, I'd say. <laughs> Will it reach sucking the ball in sort of status? It takes a while, doesn't it? I guess it didn't suck it in when David James played up front, so... Tried, some limitations. But... <laughs> it tried its hardest. <laughs> well, a magnificent finish anyway to the game for City with Erling Haaland against his former side. How much should Pep be concerned though, about the 80 minutes that preceded all of that? A lot of people frustrated with Jack Grealish's performance uh, and with the team in general. Again, Daniel Story is saying everyone's playing as if City already 3-0 up. I, I don't know how much. I mean, I think you're always going to have uh, the odd match like this. I mean, I, I, I'm really curious to see how this season pans out for them because I know everyone's assuming with Haaland that they will absolutely walk the league and I can totally see why that is. But I do just wonder if they if it might not be quite so straightforward for them. Um, and, and, and games like last night slightly bear that out, I think. That why? said, City what, did still find a win. Hmm. What, what about last night makes you think that it might not be so? Even in an off night? I don't know. It's, it's just... Um, I know that Haaland's hit the ground running, um, to use the proper term, and, and been outstanding. But but it is it is quite a big shift for them, you know, given the way they've played the last two seasons in attacking sense has been very different. And I just wonder if there will be some games where they feel that readjustment a little bit. Um, mm. you no, know, we'll, we'll see. But I, I yeah, I just I just wonder if it will be quite as easy for them as everyone assumes. Able to pull off an an elite triple substitution though with Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, and Alvarez all coming on. I mean that that's pretty strong. So. And that is the worry in the Premier League for other teams with the five subs now that yeah. City can empty their bench if they are struggling. It's not a bad problem to have, is it? When you you know the one adaptation to your team is bringing in one of the best strikers in world football. <laughs> I'd take that. Well, do you know? But I, I just think, and this is like a completely. Well, I just remember in 2001 when United had won three titles and signed Van Nistelrooy and Varane and it was kind of like, well, how could they possibly not now win the league? They've won three and they've signed the best striker in the world and you know, Varane was thought to be amazing at that time. It didn't really work out for him. And I, and I just remember, you know, Liverpool, it was only two seasons ago, they won 7-0, sorry, down the way at Palace. And it was literally the, the, the next day, it was like, well, they've won the league, they may as well give it to them, uh, it's over. And then within a month, it all sort of imploded and, and City went on and won the league and Liverpool barely got in the top four. So no, I, I guess just more broadly, I think that there's been a little bit of an overreaction to City and Haaland's start. Okay. But we'll see. Been pretty dramatic though. Uh, Jude Bellingham, also worthy of a shout, giving Dortmund the lead. He scored more goals and made more appearances in the Champions League now than any English teenager in history. Disappointment for Dortmund, but quite a reaction to their result at the weekend when they got beaten 3-0 by 
Leipzig. Anyway, as for City, they are now three points clear in the group after two straight wins. Next up, they've got back-to-back matches with Copenhagen, who drew 0-0 with Sevilla in the other game in that group. Those matches in the Champions League coming up in October. This weekend, they get a game in the Premier League, Man City. They'll be facing Wolves at Molyneux, a fixture they won 5-1 just last May. We'll maybe have a word on that later. Meantime, Dom, it's been an exciting week for reporters on the Chelsea beat. Chelsea midweek, let's see, bold offensive and giving defenders real problems. That was new owner Todd Bowley in New York with his... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Comments on the Premier League. The team, meanwhile, how did they get on in Graham Potter's first game in charge? I th- thought it was quite a bright and light performance. Um, they did move the ball quicker. They 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 were adventurous, certainly in the first half and, and late on when they were chasing the lead again after conceding a very sloppy and rather typical Chelsea equaliser. But I think it was... It was very much early days. It was interesting that there were a few boos at the final whistle and then people sort of almost remembered, uh, actually, this is a new dawn and we've got to, we've got to be supportive of this of, of the new regime here and, and that they, the boos gave away, the smattering of boos gave way to, to cheers for, for Potter and applause. But, I, you know, everything about Chelsea now has to be sort of, the caveat that, that it needs patience. I mean, it has to. Because this is an appointment that will only work if they given time, and if he's allowed, he's offered that time to to, to implement his ideas and and get get those the philosophies across, etc. It mm. can't be like the old Chelsea. It can't be, and it, it, that makes it intriguing because you know you sack a, a Champions League winning manager after seven seven games, and you, you you're almost setting the tone for yeah, we're, it's more of the same, more of the Abramovich era, but it. it this has to be at the start of a long-term process where Potter is allowed the time to, to get this team moving in the right direction on, along, his, along his lines. We will have a bit of time with Chelsea's next fixture, not mm. until the 1st of October, with this weekend's game against Liverpool called off for uh, policing reasons. A uh, run of 13 games following that in 42 days, so afterwards it will get pretty intense. It, when you say a, a Brighton-esque performance, any particular changes, any particular new direction that was visible? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's asked Raheem Sterling to play left wing back effectively when Chelsea didn't have the ball in, in the in the in the first half, um, in particular, and which was a, a, a sort of role that he 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 had various players doing at, at, at Brighton, whether that be Trossard, whether that be Gross, you know, the guys guys that would normally be playing centrally um, were asked to to fill in at wing back, etc. But there was a lot of I mean the adaptation within that you know it became four at the back when they had the ball they um that's what he's going to that's what he's he wants he wants his flexibility and the, and the Chelsea players will learn that and you know even with Sterling playing as a as a wing back he was basically pinned up the pitch which is where he used to play his Brighton wing backs as well I mean asked them to get to hug the touchline and be and be further up up the up the field and it it worked he scored a very very good goal um I think the pace at which they moved the ball was also quite Brighton-esque. And, and unfortunately, the, the fact that they had 16 attempts and only scored once, which was very, very Brighton. Um, it's, there, are some, there are some things that, that are going to take time to, to settle in and, and, and getting that flexibility and asking players to play different um, positions and being able to switch formations seamlessly within a game. That's, that's something that he's going to need time on the training ground to do. And, you know, we, we talk about 
okay, he's not got a game this this weekend, so that's giving him an extra four-day period. But he's not going to have the international break to no, work yeah. with them because they're all going to go off around the world. So it's uh, it's difficult for him. There's it's the one thing I, I did a, I did a piece for the Athletic asking whether you know thirteen games in in forty-two days is going to be a hindrance. It clearly will be. However, Potter is working with higher calibre players than he did at, at Brighton, better quality players, players who should be more adaptable uh, instinctively than those that he inherited, certainly at Brighton. Um, and a lot of his a lot of his planning is actually done in meetings. It's not done on the training ground. He 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 will he he feels he can he can impart his ideas in a in an analysis meeting rather than out on the training ground doing eleven v eleven. So in that regard, maybe he will have time to do that because they'll be able to do that in an away game and in night before an away game in a hotel, wherever it be in the country. So I think, you know, it's promising. It's a start, but he's going to need this this time and patience to, to get it to work. I think that is really important what Dom's saying about him getting that time and patience because I remember really well, um, sort of this was Boxing Day 2019 and chatting to Andy Naylor, who covers Brighton for The Athletic, and Potter had been in the job since that summer. So, you know, a, f- a few months into the season. And I remember Andy saying that for a lot of Brighton fans, they were a bit underwhelmed because results were actually at that point no different, really, from what they'd been under Chris Hewton. And, you know, there was, I think, you know, there was an undercurrent of frustration that this great wizard had come in and, you know, not, not really <laughs> changed, uh, no pun intended, you know, ha- hadn't changed a huge amount and I just think that there might be a similar thing where there are some growing pains and you know results don't come straight away but Chelsea have to ride that out in a way that we just haven't really seen in the last 20 years you know if if results haven't started out really well the managers have generally gone Uh, so it will be really interesting to see if the results don't come straight away and maybe they will um, that Potter is given the time because I think his ideas are quite complex but when when you get to grips with them, you see the rewards. And th- there was even a moment yesterday, the first half, Mount's chance that he dragged wide. You could st- that felt a very Potter choreographed move, and his reaction almost suggested as much because he he was clearly, even though it hadn't gone in, was really pleased that they seemed to be acting out his ideas. Yeah, I posted a rolling XG graph on Twitter last week, and um, to back up what Charlie said, there under Potter, Brian did go through big spells where they were kind of overperforming um, and getting results, underperforming, not getting it, and, and vice versa. So he, he's quite a streaky manager. So, and I'm not sure whether that works at a club as, as big as Chelsea. So with all these games coming up, um, it does take a while. And as Don was saying, I think the patience is is going to be vital because, I, you know, we saw with, we've seen with other managers at, at clubs, big six clubs, that you can, you can at the start, you can say, up, oh, you know, we'll give them patience, let's get their philosophy, but a couple of uh, defeats in. And and that draw last night's really bad. Salzburg, it's only the second time they've not lost to an English team. And the only other time was against Blackburn in the 2006-07 UEFA Cup. So, <laughs> you know, Chelsea, that's a, a pretty bad position heading into the, the double header with, uh, with Milan. Yeah, indeed. So they are bottom of Group E, one point from a possible six. Duncan talking about spells under pottery. <laughs> anyway, uh, on, a, on his big night, a round of applause, meanwhile, for he who must not be named, his uh, predecessor. 21 minutes in, the Chelsea fans showing their appreciation for Thomas Tuchel, who is still a, a much-missed figure, it would seem, among the Blues supporters. Very good. We'll maybe have a bit more Chelsea chat in a second or two. 
as well as uh, running up some of the other big midweek stories. I'm Adam Hurry, host of the Athletics Football Clichés podcast. Look, there are loads of podcasts out there talking about the actual football, but this is the only one that celebrates the language of the game and takes the deepest possible dive into all the tiny things in and around football that we have somehow taken for granted. Check out our back catalogue now, where you'll find interviews with Jamie Carragher, Kelly Cates, Neda Manua, Peter Drury, and many, many more. Search for Football Clichés on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and listen ad-free on The Athletic. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Well, listener, you may have seen Chelsea owner Todd Burley uh, talking at the SALT conference. Me neither. In New York this week, uh, certainly raised some eyebrows. Well, the suggestion of an all-star North-South game, also where he was speaking glowingly of Chelsea's academy and how it produced Mo Salah and one or two other bright young prospects. Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne. Weren't salt talks? Weren't they during the Cold War? Exactly. To do with like arms limitation? Is that a sort of strategic arm arm limitation talks? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There, I think there were a couple. Oh, there were several. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or perhaps these ones will as well. All right, but beyond any of the other comments, and you might highlight his talk of making a network of clubs with Chelsea at the hub, similar to the Red Bull group or the City group, but the proposal that's caught the most attention is the All-Star game one. I actually thought the the weirdest thing that he said amongst lots of interesting and innovative thoughts was the bottom four in the Premier League should have some kind of tournament to see who gets relegated, mm. which was... A player. <laughs> remarkable. Well, they do this in, well, in... Yeah. Chelsea, it's interesting, because obviously Chelsea have got a particularly bad history with a relegation playoff, Playoffs, haven't they? Yeah. Middlesbrough at it's home Middlesbrough, being... Yeah. yeah. Um, and they, they quickly scrapped that idea after seeing the... I think playing off to, to stay up is a lot more... Um, volatile than, than playing off to go but up. But hence say. the interest in it, I guess. Well, I mean, the whole idea, I mean, you get relegated, people lose jobs. I, I don't I don't like it. Well, it's going to happen anyway, Don. Not for the wanna... team that finishes fourth bottom. Well, no, but then the other team that finished third bottom <laughs> but stays up gets to keep well, their jobs. Yeah, OK, fair enough. But your team that finished fourth bottom could finish... Ten points clear. I guess it's like the, it's like the. You mean there's an element players. of randomness to something? That's yeah, quite it's, it's serious. Yeah. The only the only way to avoid something like that, I guess, is to get rid of relegation. Which you know, maybe those <laughs> maybe those teams at the bottom should watch the All Star game and buy some decent players. <laughs> Gary Neville tweeting after the these comments kind of did the rounds on social media. Uh, the quicker we get a regulator in, the better. U.S. investment into English football is a clear and present danger to the pyramid and fabric of the game. They just don't get it and think differently. They also don't stop till they get what they want. Others were less concerned. Tarek Panja, for example, says at least this guy speaks, uh, and he certainly provided everybody with loads of, mm. of content. Low bar, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how how worried were you, or do you think it's just just a bit of a storm in a teacup? I mean, I'd bring back the Evening Standard five asides. I mean, you know, I've mm. sent Dom some clips of Wickham beating Palace in What were the Evening Standard five asides? <laughs> uh, it was a five aside tournament for London and London adjacent clubs, but with current players. And it was oh. it was all the rage in the in the early 90s. 
I was saying yesterday, I think I can imagine, I, I don't think anyone thinks in terms of kind of, you know, London clubs. I feel really proud of the London clubs. I think what <laughs> what would be sort of mildly interesting might be to do a match uh, between players, say, born in different areas. Because I think that's a t- bit of a talking point, isn't it? That, you know, there's a South State London of origin. hotbed. Mm. Yeah, ki- yeah, yeah, kind of that sort of thing. Um, mm. That, to me, I think people might care about a bit more. I don't think there are people arguing in the playground, like, oh, no way the Northwest is better than the Midlands. Like, I mm. just, I don't think those conversations are really happening. I mean, Croydon would win, am I yeah, right? Yeah, South London would absolutely wipe the floor with everybody. I mean, it's, right. it's like the Ile de France in, you know, you could do a South London versus Ile de France, that would be a good game. <laughs> yeah, that would. Well, yeah, a lot of people would love to see a league versus a league 11 or an Anglo-Italian Cup return. That's what I'm pinning yes. my hopes on. Mm. Anyway, mm. in the meantime, we're stuck with the uh, Humdrum Old Champions League. Other results uh, in which this week included a mighty victory for underfire Liverpool on Tuesday at home to the very informed Ajax. A goal from one Mo, then the other, and then John Matip with that 89th minute winner. That was, I believe, Duncan, his first Champions League goal since 2013. Is that possible? It's true, yeah. Mm. And a good goal for technology, because I think that might not mm. have been given before goal line technology, mm. but it was definitely definitely over. I think it was, yeah, it was Liverpool just definitely deserved the win. I mean, Thiago being back is, I mean, if you could, if you could keep Thiago fit, then he'd be the greatest player. I mean, there was one sort of step over dummy he did in the in the first half where he just called for the ball and then just just stepped over it and just let it go through. It was just just lovely stuff. I mean, they're in a bit of a bind with him, aren't they? And this happens to teams where you've got this incredible player who's borderline irreplaceable because he has such a unique skill set, but who just isn't fit enough. And, mm. and it's really hard to know what to do in that sort of situation because you can't really... You're, you're very rarely going to have a player of that sort of calibre who can come in for him. And as I said, because he's so unique, how do you recreate what he offers? But he's just not fit enough. So it, it's it's a difficult one. So he had to pull out the League Cup final last year, getting injured in the warm-up. He nearly did for the Champions League final, right? And didn't didn't look on it in that game. But then last season, Liverpool had an 81% win rate with him in the team and in the low 60s when he wasn't. So, yeah, it, it's a complete conundrum. Like, how, yeah, just, I don't know, don't know how they play that, really. Um, mm. But it was great to see it. I mean, Liverpool as well, of course, talking about uh, novelty tournaments. In January 97, mid-season, they went off to Holland to play in this like bizarre, I think it was seven-a-side tournament with Ajax and Rangers, Gaza's Rangers, and unsurprisingly, it developed into a complete <laughs> up the whole, the whole trip. But it's... <laughs> It's ama- it's amazing, like this tournament that this tournament happened. I think it's called like the Mini Disc Sevens or something. Look it up. It just they just went mid January ninety seven. They just took off mid season and went and played in this event. What sort of midweek? Take that, Todd Bowley. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Right. Um, Todd Bowley should bring back Mini Discs. There's a there's a flawed format. It's it's interesting because that. I mean, I guess this is why you're mentioning it, Charlie. That's very much the uh, the format of this particular Champions League group with Ajax and, and Rangers in, involved once again. Exactly. Um, Mo Salah, of course, getting the opening goal in, in the game at Anfield on Tuesday. Mo Kudas, who's one of the breakout stars of this early season in Europe, with a thumping equaliser. Liverpool had 23 shots to Ajax's three as they, uh, they bounce back from their defeat away to Napoli. Napoli, though, stay in charge in the group with their 3-0 win at Rangers. Alan McGregor 
saving two or three penalties that he faced, but unable to uh, keep uh, the uh, the various attacking threats of the Neapolitans out. So uh, they're looking good, Napoli. Not an easy fixture there at Ibrox ever. Elsewhere, Real Madrid looked shaky against Leipzig without Benzema, but they ran out 2-0 winners, late goals again. Paris Saint-Germain went a goal down away to Maccabi Haifa, but came back to win 3-1 with all three of MNM on the score sheet. Messi, that means he's now only 14 goals behind Big Chris. Uh, Benfica had a 2-1 win I mentioned before at Juventus they are now fast approaching crisis mode they're 6 points behind Benfica and PSG in that group they're 8th in Serie A and the empty space is becoming more and more visible at the Allianz Stadium in Turin as the fans stay home people in the know keep ruling out regime change at Juve not least because they they would owe Allegri just an astonishing amount of money I think it's like 9 million a year something of that ilk uh, but um, but yeah, things not going well. Also midweek, Bruges. Did you see Bruges? Four 0 was that? Mm. Their manager Alfred Schroeder left for Ajax in the summer, but under their new man Karl Hufkens, former Stoke City fans player of the year, by the way, back in the noughties. Mm. Anyway, under him they notched up their second win in two games. This one four nil away in Porto. They are leading the group three points clear of Bayer Leverkusen and Atletico Madrid and six ahead of Porto. They're the first Belgian team ever to win their first two Champions League group fixtures. And they posted a dressing room celebration pick, which I imagine triggered a lot of people. Did they? What, what was in it? Never goes down. Oh, just, you know, the normal, we've won the game, we're really happy. Oh, but, yeah. But, you know, that's mm. yeah. not to everyone's taste. Elsewhere, listener, Bayern took on Barcelona. So much interest in this game because Barcelona looking for revenge and they'd bought Bayern's big striker, Lewandowski. Surely they'd get it this time, but no. He missed a couple of big, big chances in the first half and then Bayern in the second half through Lucas Hernandez and Leroy Sané claimed the three points. Crikey. Elsewhere in the Champions League midweek, Spurs went to sporting and it didn't go well for them. We'll get onto that next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Thursday the 15th of September, listener, there's a big meeting in FIFA land today with Ecuador's World Cup place on the line. This follows reports of an audio recording which apparently strengthens Chile's case that they should take Ecuador's spot at the upcoming World Cup due to Ecuador fielding an ineligible player during the uh, qualifiers. Not an ineligible player, that would be... Kvaratskhelia. <laughs> <laughs> who was who was it? I mean, if it was like Cristiano Ronaldo, fair enough, bang to rights. But I always find the, the punishment a little bit too much for like West. When Manny or Yaminmi came exactly, in for yeah. Dom, do you want to just fill us in on the the details of this I've case? Very sketchy details. Well, apparently it's a uh, they, FIFA have, have called a. a Byron Castillo to attend the Appeals Commission after they unearthed new evidence that uh, the Ecuadorian player was apparently born in Colombia. Ooh. But I thought you could do that now. Hmm. No. Well, we'll see. Not what you've they... never been to Ecuador again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what happens there. All right. Premier League, anyway. That's back in action this weekend, or mostly. Let's see. Brighton Palace is postponed, Dom, oh. for a rail strike that's also been postponed, but they didn't feel like... They'll be dancing on the streets of Peace Pottage. <laughs> is that halfway between Palace and... It's disputed hinterland between the two warring tribes. Yeah, we're not yeah. quite sure where Crawley lies, whether it's a mm. Palace stronghold or a Brighton. Anyway, Brighton Palace won't be taking place this weekend, nor will Chelsea-Liverpool. It's a shame. Uh, nor Man United leads equally. What's the reason? What's the rationale for the Man United leads postponement? Haven't loads of police been seconded to London? I, I see, think. and that was deemed to be more more police. Yeah, I think that that's was again requires a big police presence. Yeah, right. Um, like, understandably, like, like Brighton Palace. Yeah, although that also requires trains. Yeah, which yeah, we just, do just, have just, to for, the, just for the fans to yeah. look at and take notes mainly, but yeah. Uh, Spurs against Leicester is on, though, crucially. And, Charlie, you're going along to that. Yes. It's a weird one, that. I mean, Spurs can go top if they win, depending on what happens in the City game earlier in the day, uh, if City were to drop points. But, I mean, either way, Spurs go into it in a... If you you just look at the league table in a very healthy position. But there has been this sense throughout the season that results have been better than performances Hmm. and that that was going to catch up with them eventually. And sure enough on Tuesday night against Sporting. That kind of was what happened. I mean, I, I didn't. I, I thought Spurs were actually... I didn't think they were terrible. I thought it probably... I, I actually agree with Conte after the game, who said it was a draw, basically. You know, it was one of those games neither team really did enough to win. Um, I thought Spurs actually had, had probably the better of it, certainly at the start of the second half. They should have gone ahead, didn't, uh, and so lost a kind of a 50-50 game. So I think in ordinary circumstances, you'd write that off as just that. I think the reason why there was a lot of frustration was this sense that they've had that coming and sort of pushed their luck um, and it ran out, basically. Mm. Goals in the 90th and 93rd minute for Sporting, who've now won their first two Champions League group games for the first time ever and for the first time ever beaten an English side in the Champions League. Prior to that, there was more frustration for Sun. There was also some flashes of, of genius from Marcus Edwards. 
Yeah, I mean, he nearly scored an absolutely unbelievable goal. Entregou já para Marcos Eduardo, já passou ali por todo o mundo, mas que, que, que Marcos Eduardo vai levar, olha de perigo, vai atrás para o gol, marcar, vai atirar, atira, golado, defendeu! Mas que grande oportunidade! He's always been burdened by... Uh, Maurizio Pochettino comparing him to Lionel Messi when he was very, very young. I mean, it was said slightly in passing, um, but obviously, you know, as a manager, if you say anything like that, that is going to absolutely explode. And sure enough, it did. But this goal would have been, I mean, it had <laughs> elements of uh, Messi to it. Um, and, and his style as a kind of, um, well, Messi now is a lot more two-footed, but, but Edwards is very left-footed, plays off the right, cuts inside, very good dribbler, kind of glides past people. So you can sort of see it. But yeah, he, he played he played really well. Um, and that, that would have been a sensational goal. And I know, I mean, he, he was one of those players who, understandably, supporters really obsessed over because he clearly was so, so talented. Um, but there were some issues Pochettino felt with, his discipline and that kind of thing so it reached a point where I think for both parties they just they needed a change and fair play to him because he's gone to Portugal he had a year on loan in Holland as well where he did quite well but he's gone to Portugal um, firstly with Vitoria Guimaraes and then on to Sporting and he's he's been brilliant and he, he scored and assisted for Sporting in the first game uh, of the group which they won handsomely uh, 3-0 in Frankfurt and then played really well again on Tuesday night. Uh, so it, it, it was uh, a performance that justified the hype, I think. Brilliant. He'll be representing Enfield in the upcoming State of Origin All-Star <laughs> Summer League. As for Antonio Conte, Duncan, those Champions League numbers, hmm. Yeah, 13 wins out of 38 Champions League games, which is bizarre, really, when you look at his league record. But I think he just, I don't think he gets excited about the Champions League group stages, um, which, you know, is a is a valid approach in some respects. Don't you need to but, earn the right to do that? Doesn't that normally come though because you're cruising through it so easily, not because you're just you're not really getting out of it? What would Spurs fans prefer, like a, a proper title battle or a deep run in the Champions League? I think they'd probably go league. I think. But is that a realistic prospect? Well, if City struggle with Haaland as much as I think they will, then the... <laughs> <laughs> no, but to, to, the to, Charlie, much open. to Charlie's point, you can say Spurs have played worse than the results suggested, but you know that means that when they do pick up, mm, they Mark might go champions. on a really good run. Yeah. So, yeah. Fair enough. I, I think that is an interesting... I mean, that's always been the suggestion with, with Conte, which he obviously, as he would, he denies it and when asked about it last week this sense that for him he's always got more excited about league than champions league or more prioritized it so it, i mean if it plays out again you know they're, they're still in a fine position but big double that you know their two games now against frankfurt because frankfurt also on three points because they beat marseille that does become very very significant and, and it would be crazy if having worked so hard to get in the champions league they then exited it so soon but that they'll hope that this was just one of those games that could have gone their way and that they'll be better against Frankfurt. But their, their record over quite a long period away from home in Europe isn't great. And that is something they need to sort out. You know, that predates Conte. But yeah, that is something they need to sort out or they, or they will struggle. Mm. They'll be at home uh, to Leicester Saturday 5.30. Still unbeaten in the league, as you mentioned, the chance to go top of the table. Leicester, meantime, uh, a laster, if you will, <laughs> bottom of the pile. 
five defeats in a row, worst run of Brendan Rodgers' career, worst start to a season for the Foxes since 1983. Crikey. How long are you going to be on paternity leave for, Charlie? Quite some time, uh, until March. Wow. Yeah. Where, where do you think, still be in Europe, what kind of then? world do you, well, will you walk back into, do you think, in Spurs terms? <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's, I mean, I went on paternity leave a couple of years ago and Spurs, re- and I'm not suggesting there's causality here, but they really <laughs> fell apart uh, when I went off, you know, without, without my guiding you hand the there. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of players commented on how difficult it was when I went. Um <laughs> but yeah, what's that? The post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy that after this, therefore, on account of this. Uh, yeah, I'm not suggesting it. I was why. But so I have had a few messages being like, don't do this again. You know, um, I predicted before the season they come third, and I still think that, you know, I'd, I'd stand by that. So I think by March, I mean, that basically they would need to be roughly in the quarterfinals. You know, do we think they'll get that far? I mean, I, th- I think there's a chance. I think they'll get out of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slightly depends on who they play. Well, it, it will depend on who they play in the last 16. But I think they're good enough. It will be interesting to see on a more broadly how their style translates to Champions League. What Sporting did to them quite effectively. I mean, teams know this. They, they want to play on the counter, um, Tottenham. That's where they're really effective. And so teams know that if they sit deep themselves and cough up possession Spurs are going to struggle and I think that's a lot of Son's difficulties this season are because of that you know he I I found it amazing last season Son was incredible you know when when you give him space to run into he's absolutely amazing and I was amazed at how many teams played into Tottenham's hands in that way and obviously partly that's probably because Spurs are laying traps and drawing them out maybe it was partly as well they just weren't quite so familiar with how Conte's Tottenham played obviously teams are now aware of that and and it is a bit harder for them you know I thought maybe in Europe that they'd this would work better for them because they're playing higher caliber of opposition who might want to attack them more but then in this group there isn't a kind of you know heavyweight team that's really going to do that to them but I but yeah I still think they'll be they'll be in a good place come March even without me there do you think Leicester will be employing similar tactics this Saturday then and and and, and might it prove Decisive. I don't know if Leicester really have that in there. I mean, I'm sure they would like to, and I'm sure Brendan Rodgers is aware that that's what they should do. But I mean, Leicester are one of the flakiest teams defensively. And even if they were to go ahead, I mean, they've got this terrible record for dropping points, not least against Tottenham, who they were winning against. They were winning in the 95th minute uh, last season and lost the mm. game. So that kind of <laughs> tells you how they are when defending Leeds. And I do wonder if that... Uh, will be slightly traumatic for them. I mean, Spurs as well, they're within two games of equaling their longest unbeaten run ever in the Premier League. They're on 12, their record is 14, which is kind of feels hard to believe because, like I say, there's been this sort of undercurrent of slight frustration with their start to the season. But they are, results-wise, in a really, really healthy state. Mm. All right. It's like Solskjaer's Man United having the longest ever unbeaten away run in Premier League history. It's like... Really? Mm. Oh, yeah, they did. They never lost. I mean, bit closed Kane... doors asterisks, though. That isn't there. Yeah, big time. But um, I mean, Harry Kane wasn't great. I don't think in midweek, but he is playing Leicester against whom mm. he's got um, nineteen goals, which is more than than any other team. He like remember how Aguero used to them? just yeah him and Vardy on the bench in that Watford yes. game, which for me yeah. is a waste of of talent. But um, yeah, like Aguero used to play Newcastle and just rack up insane amounts of goals. Um, Kane will. 
almost certainly do that this weekend. Interesting. Charlie, just one more time, that, that Latin maxim you dropped? That was post hoc ergo propter hoc. It's a fallacy, and it translates as after this, therefore, on account of this. Right. The suggestion that just because something follows something, there's causality, it's because of it, when often that's not really the case. Nice. All right. Uh, on that classy note, let's uh, move on to the rest of the weekend games. Friday night, two matches, Villa Saints and Forest Fulham. On Saturday, Spurs Leicester, and before that, Wolves Man City and Newcastle Bournemouth. Eddie Howe up against the Cherries for the first time. On Sunday, Brentford Arsenal and Everton West Ham. Brentford Arsenal, remember the Gunners' last visit to the Brentford Community Stadium? Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher carousing with the uh, Brentford fans <laughs> after the game. That was a proper battering, though, wasn't it? That was that was a, a that weekend was the Week as, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as Bert Leno got sort of pushed out of the way of throwing. I mean, th- there's a funny subplot here as well because in the Arsenal Amazon All or Nothing documentary, Arteta uh, before the return fixture shows on the big screen a tweet from Ivan Tony after Brentford had beaten Arsenal two 0 saying nice kickabout with the boys. <laughs> Before I go, because it's still in my stomach and I have managed to keep it for four months, five months, six months. This is Tony after the game when we play at Brentford. You know what he did? You know this tweet? Nice kick about with the boys this afternoon. So today they play in our house, guys. There is only one team in that bitch, and it's us. And so I wonder now, does Thomas Frank show the Brentford players a video of Arteta showing them that tweet? And then mm. where does it end? Does it just go on and on and on forever? Escalating quickly, yeah. They'd have absolutely. to ban, postpone Brentford Arsenal games because the build-up. The players have to get like a week in advance <laughs> to what some sort of three-colours trilogy um, length analysis. Five goals in six matches for the aforementioned Ivan Tony this season. So a danger once again for Arsenal on this latest visit to West London. Only Man City have scored more goals than Brentford this season. How about that? Do you see a repeat, Dom, of that opening fixture from last season? I don't think Arsenal will be quite um, as easily shrugged aside this time. Um, They need to make amends for the defeat at Manchester United and they've obviously had a very, very good start to the campaign. But but Brentford are a handful. They're a proper handful and, and... you know the fact that Tony. I mean, look, by the time that game's played, Tony might be in the England squad, potentially. I mean, it's he's got to be under consideration given his start to the season um, and the way he's been playing. Um, they just everything about that club is, yeah, it's upwardly mobile. It's 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 moving forward at, at pace, and it's a it's a really awkward awkward fixture for Arsenal. Mm. Saturday. Newcastle hosting Bournemouth as I mentioned Eddie Howe facing the Cherries for the first time in his career Cherries of course in crisis having changed manager in Newcastle and a brilliant start to the season hang on a second these two teams are level on points Bournemouth are remarkable considering they've lost a game 9-0 and they've and, and, you know, been battered at home by others but they've actually won the games that you'd expect well that they need to win um, amongst their fixtures I, I think I, I don't. I mean, I'm sure this has been covered on previous pods, but the, the Premier League this season just feels more competitive than than it ever has. The fact that you've got Bournemouth able to do that and to beat Villa at home and and to 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 
come back from behind to win at Forest. You've got Forest spending all the money that they have and, and completely revamping their squad. We don't know which way it's going to go, obviously, but they're in a better place potentially now than they than they were with the team that got promoted. And the Fulham start has been absolutely outstanding, really. To see three pr- promoted teams really competing, I, I think there'll be a few sides in mid-table that'll be looking over there, or, you know, who, who've been used to a mid-table existence, which has seen them safe pretty much by February, March time, mm. looking over their shoulders this year and thinking, oof, this, this is tricky. Who, who are you thinking Dom, of, the Crystal Dom? Palace fans. Yeah, I'm so really worried. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a lot of people really quite nervous. <laughs> as long as we keep getting our games postponed, we'll be fine. Yeah. Bournemouth, who've taken four points from the two matches that uh, interim boss Gary O'Neill has been in charge. They've taken seven points in the Premier League this season, despite only having... 12 shots on target across six games. Yeah, Bournemouth have broken football, basically. That's that's the problem. <laughs> They've like lost 9-0. If they, if they let in three at Newcastle, they'll have the worst ever top-flight defensive record after seven games. And yet they're happily safe, as in the words of Dom Fifefield. So um, I don't know what's going on. I mean, Newcastle are five games without a win. Um, mm. Which this is the problem when you have lots of draws. Is like if you then win, it looks like you're on a good unbeaten run. But if you don't, then suddenly you're plunged into crisis talk. And um, Eddie Howe's fine, I'm sure, but like you know, Newcastle's expectations are, are pretty high, so he mm. needs to be careful. Uh, let's see what else this weekend. You have got the David Moyes derby, Everton against West Ham. Not just a big uh, reunion that for David Moyes, but also for Frank Lampard against the side, the club where it all began for him but with whose supporters he has not had a great relationship since he left them for Chelsea 21 years ago. Never forget, though. Never forget. Uh, Big game this for all sorts of reasons, not least the fact that these two teams are level as well, both on four points. West Ham are actually in the bottom three. Somehow, Everton's goal difference is keeping them above it. Well... Everton have got the biggest difference between XG conceded and goals conceded. They've they should have on XG conceded four more goals this season, which a lot of that you can put down to the form of Jordan Pickford, who is now yeah. out injured. Which so I'd be a bit concerned about that if I was F Lampard. Right. There's quite a lot of optimism around Everton amongst their support base at the moment, though, isn't there? Which is when you look at the table, it's slightly surprising, but but. <laughs> I mean, they're playing with a good spirit. I mean, Alex Iwobi has been great this season. Um, You know, I think Mope did a classic Mope performance on his debut where he kind of, he actually created quite a lot of space for other players and then missed, you know, missed a couple of chances. But, so I think they're okay, but I think they've kind of ridden their luck at the back a bit and, you know, maybe that will carry on. But of the two teams, Everton and West Ham, I think West Ham's underlying performances are probably a little better so mm. it's a, it is a big game and as as you said there's a lot of um, links between the two teams so should be a good atmosphere Hammers have won on three of the last four visits to Goodison Park Nottingham Forest Fulham will be an interesting one uh, Forest like the Hammers and Everton are on four points they're down in 19th place Fulham are on a whopping eight points up in 10th spot this is the first top division meeting between these two sides since April 1968. You know, I'm going to ask you what was number one. <laughs> uh, I've, I, I know, unfortunately. Do you know? Yeah. Come on then, Charlie. It was congratulations by... Appropriately Richard. enough for you in your current, um, you know, domestic uh, scenario. Yeah. Cliff Richards' Eurovision entry. It, I think it won, did it not? Eurovision. Congratulations. Quite possibly. 
Richardson. Cliff Richards. So mm. he, he, he appeared on Desert Island Discs 60 years apart. Isn't that amazing? What? Twice. Yeah, he's been on Did it twice. He? Yeah. One in... How old was he the one first in One in 1960, one in 2020. Like Guy Roux. 60 years on Desert Island. <laughs> <laughs> How much did his records change, Charlie? Uh, I think quite a bit. Did they? I mean, if you think back then... Was there anything I mean, that yeah. he still had from... Or he kind of worn out the vinyl? I'm not sure. That, that's a good... I mean, David Attenborough was on it four times. What? Would, would, yeah, I always think that's quite weird. Like, sure, it's a, a one-time only thing. Yeah. Give someone else a chance. Well, exactly, yeah. Give Does some his music chase young... change over those four appearances? Well, I'm not actually you sure of that. They must phase. have done. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of Drum metal bass. on his third appearance. <laughs> All right, producer Charlie... Uh, points out that Cliff Richards' congratulations ironically only came second in 1968 in the Eurovision. Who won then, producer Charlie? This one, says producer Charlie. It was called La 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 by Maciela of Spain. Uh, anyway, sorry about that, listener. Fulham won uh, this fixture in the championship last season. At the city ground, four nil it was, and uh, you can bet Alexander Mitrovic is looking to add to his six goals in six games. Only Erling Haaland's got more in the Premier League so far. All right, elsewhere you got Aston Villa against Southampton, and you got Wolves against Man City. I mentioned the fact that Man City won that game last May five one with Kevin De Bruyne scoring four of them. This time though, they could be up against a Wolves side that features Diego Costa. Do, do we think? Sort of wonder whether that might come a bit too soon for You're him, in. given that he's not trained. But I mean, it'd be great if he, if, great if he lets go of the three wolves that he was uh, filmed. <laughs> Apparently, he was terrified. You see that? He didn't, he didn't. I didn't see this. What did they yeah. do? A promotional video they're with lo- him and wolves? Three wolves, hmm. yeah, chained. Um, sort of, I don't know, being led along by them. <laughs> Little pigs hiding in their houses all along the route. <laughs> As he would be, you get here, new signing, multi-million pound new signing, potentially. Well, actually, he's not multi-million pound, he was free. But, but uh, Diego Costa, three rabid wolves. Go go for it. Good luck. <laughs> but, is, but isn't that the point, Dom, that you'd expect that he wouldn't be because he's this Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. So the wolves fearless. were in tears. They're absolutely yeah, exactly. Those poor he's wolves. less scared of the Arsenal defence than the wolves. <laughs> uh, wolves had the best defence in the division, by the way, ahead of this clash with City, who have drawn their last two Premier League away games. So, Charlie, there you go. Mm, upset alert. Yeah. Uh, Aston Villa taking on Saints, meantime. Villa, who are very much at the wrong end of things, have won only one of their Premier League matches this season. Only three of their last 17, taking it a little bit further back. Saints, very hard to get a read on them. Is that right? That's the impression I have of them. They're just a zany young crew, yeah. Are they? Yeah, I like I like the way diff- clubs go through kind of little vibe changes from, you know, like Palace under Hodgson were like, oh, it's Palace. And, and then last season it was really exciting to watch them. And then Southampton the last couple of years have been quite dreary. And this year, mm. you know, they've obviously brought in a lot of good young players. And, yeah, you, you look forward to, to seeing them. I think they could could cause Villa some, some issues. What's the Villa vibe at the moment for you, Duncan? Mm, but do me. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a weird stat where... Um, Villa have used the joint fewest number of players in the Premier League this season, 18, 
and yet they've made more changes to their starting eleven than than any other team, four teams. So with a small pool of players, Steven Gerrard's kind of constantly searching for the right formula that, that's going to work, and I think it's fair to say he's, he's not found it yet. Hmm. He might want to include Danny Ings in his plans this week. Danny's scoring in a 4-0 win for Villa in this fixture back in March. Of course, that was a different Southampton. I must say I don't find Steven Gerrard's managerial style at Villa the most expansive. I mean, a lot of it seems to be very physical um, and a little bit old-fashioned in approach. Um, I don't know, I sort of was maybe hoping for a little bit more from him. Mm. Well, I'm sure a lot of Villa Villa fans uh, echo those sentiments. No Palace Brighton for you. Don, what are you most looking forward to then out of those fixtures? I'm I'm quite intrigued by the Forest-Fulham game on Friday, I have to say. As I said before, I'm really impressed with the way Fulham have started this season. And everything about Forest is interesting at the moment as well to see how, how Steve Cooper gets a, a song out of a squad that's been assembled overnight, really, in selections from one game to the other as he discovers more members of his playing staff uh, training every day. I mean, it's, it, must be, it must be quite something. So that, that's, a, that's a really good game and a, and a good sort of appetiser for the weekend. Brilliant. Friday night, that one. OK, well, we'll be back on Monday a little bit later than usual for reasons... On Monday from 5.30, you should be able to catch our thoughts on all the Premier League activity just ahead of the international break that's coming up, of course. For now, many thanks for being with us today, a listener. Our thanks as well to producer Charlie, to Charlie Eccleshare, Don Fifield, and Duncan Alexander. Do hope everyone has a super weekend. Charlie, best of luck uh, with everything. Best wishes to the fam. And Thank see you, you in much. March, I guess. Or maybe I'll make a cameo or two in the meantime. We'll I imagine. Very nice to hear. Excellent. Well, well thanks for today. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. And we'll catch up with you Monday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.